All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And, well, we've got another in the bivouac for you guys this week. Special guest. Been waiting uh, to get him on uh, on the show for a little bit. I feel like the music is too quiet. Should we turn the music a little bit? You know, it adds to the, to the you know, yeah, to that party, you know, like, let's get it going. All right. Let's start that over again. All right, so this time we are in the bivouac with none other than Matt Sutherland for this week's episode. Episode number 70. Uh-oh. 30 more and we're at 100. Time to start playing or planning that 100th episode. What should we do? Hmm. So much going on. So much they could be doing. I'm sure we'll figure it out. Maybe a rally get together out of the desert, or maybe we'll pick the local hotspot, Attitude Brewing, or something like that. You know, pick a brewery for a uh, self-guided tour, a self-guided flight of adult beverages. That is, um, or whatnot. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. So anyway, all right. So this week we've got Matt Sutherland that's going to be joining us in the bivouac. We'll be talking a little bit about his uh, racing experience and fresh off of that W at the Nora 1000 or the Mexican 1000 uh, just about a week or so ago. I think he's still in California out here enjoying the sun. Hailing from Canada, I believe, but we'll touch base on all of that fun stuff and talk a little bit about his uh, racing career, how he got started in rally and uh, and of course some of the rallies that he's done around the world. So got a lot of stuff uh, in store for you guys on this episode and make sure we get all the questions answered, get everything and talk about rally adventures. So with that being said, let's see if we have got him on the line. But before we do that, let's turn down the party a little bit. Make sure it's, uh, you know, crisp, clear audio for everybody. Man, can't wait. Got, uh, I don't know kind of drying this here we're sending them the link here in just a second uh but yeah so this week uh you guys this is monday so we're recording it live and going to be airing it live so you guys can listen to this on your commute to work or for the overachievers uh you can listen to this tonight uh but basically uh we are getting ready for the first baja rally event coming up it's going to be a joint venture a, a kind of a training with american rally originals as a fundraiser uh going to be located down in san quintin uh, at the uh, Mission Santa Maria Hotel. Uh, that's going to be this weekend. We got uh, Friday registration with a couple of short stages, Saturday one stage, Sunday another stage. Uh, so we'll be down there talking rally, working with everybody, and uh, and yeah, having some fun, enjoying, uh, enjoying everybody, uh, doing their bench racing after the stages and, and learning some things. And, you know, uh, we'll be keeping track on the rally comp side of things, making sure everybody's uh, not riding off into the sunset. At least uh, they are, but uh, for the predetermined amount of time, you know, we don't want people uh, scattered across the desert. That's the cool thing about the uh, the rally comp that we're able to track uh, track and send messages like stop, turn around, go to note. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things with that. So it's uh, it's really really a handy device uh, for rally tracking and waypoint management. Uh, that's uh, made here in the u.s by none other than uh, mike johnson and the rally comp team so uh very very stoked to be back down in baja and uh enjoying the time down there be uh taking the girlfriend exposing her to some of the rally raid uh 
happenings. I don't know. The ambiance, the bivouac, all of that fun stuff. So looking forward to it. I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Got a lot of, uh, I saw the entry list. I saw a few familiar names in there and uh, I'm going to get to put uh, names to faces on uh, some of the other guys. So absolutely stoked for that one. Uh, We've got a couple of things that we are working on, including coming up for this coming month. Uh, We're going to welcome our first should should we say sponsor powered by i don't know we'll figure it out but we're happy to announce that moscow moto is going to be joining us for this next month uh as part of a sponsor and supporter of the chasing waypoints podcast and the waypoint wednesday's live stream uh so we've got some of their gear coming in uh some of the bags we've already got them we've already been testing them and learning the ins and outs of them uh we've talked about uh stopping strap abuse uh, with the bags, so I learned a very big lesson with how to set up uh, the bags, uh, the backcountry panniers that I got, the staggered set uh, for the 850. Uh, there were some things that I definitely needed to learn, and I did so uh, out at the Revzilla Get On ADV Fest. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to that one. We are actually talking with Pete Day from. Uh, Moscow Moto. We're going to be uh, doing it in the bivouac with him, and then we're going to follow that up also. Uh, a couple episodes down the road with uh, talking about some apparel design and things that they've done uh, in getting and designing and creating their line of apparel uh, as well. So I'm super excited for that to begin. Uh, we'll get uh, we'll get you guys some more information on what to expect on that side of it. But with that being said, let's see if we've got Matt on the line. Give me just. All right, Matt, you there? I am. Victor, how's it going? Yeah, good. You know, it's Monday. We survived. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm back in uh, Vancouver, and the weather isn't the best. So, I'm wishing I was still down in the desert, but we can't kind of uh, sunshine all the time. Ah, I, I saw you had a run in with the scorpion in uh, Borrego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the scorpion. Have, have you ever been to Borrego? So, so a couple, a couple of times, and every time I go, I'm like, oh, I got to go see the scorpion. I never see it. Yeah, no, it's, it's out there hiding in the desert. So, nice. it's, uh, yeah, no, they've got all sorts of weird stuff hiding out there in the desert. But, uh, yeah, you run across some interesting things. Interesting things and interesting people you find out in the desert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, makes it exciting. Yeah, and not too many people. I've met one person from that, from that town, and that's it. And they seem pretty, well, he's normal, but I, he, he told me the stories. And, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> There's some characters. Yeah. yeah, no, it was my first time ever going. No, I'd actually love to go back there with a bike. It would be uh you could make some great road books through that area because you can get up into the mountains, into sort of the foresty stuff and yeah, it's uh I'll have to go back and do some exploring. Oh yeah. I know I know a couple of roads. I'm I'm gonna leave the name out of it, but we ended up almost getting kicked out of an Indian reservation. Uh, oh. but found the most amazing forest road. Like it's like a fire road, barely touched. I mean, it was just amazing. Yeah. And we had the tribal police waiting for us on the other side. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, we get a lot of that up here in uh, British Columbia as well. Um, there's a lot of uh, native land and um, I, I obviously have the tour company and we take people into all the, the backcountry areas. And so, yeah, I've had to, go in in advance and ask for permission and make sure we're allowed to ride on there and stuff like that. Cause, uh, 
yeah, if you get caught in the wrong spot, you can uh, you can get in some pretty big trouble. Mm, okay, so you get so you guys have or up there they have basically the same thing down here the the whole private property some kind of bureau of land management that's kind of controlling things. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And they've got you know it's sort of self governed within itself. So. Um, you know, some are more lenient to others with letting people on their land. Um, so, you know, you just got to do the right thing and give them a call ahead of time or send them an email and, or usually, you know, you know, someone who knows someone, you can get permission to ride through there. But, uh, if you do get permission, you can really get into some pretty crazy backcountry areas. So, so it's, you know, it's always worth at least asking the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They say no, but the best is they say yes. And you go on this crazy, you know, crazy yeah. trail and all. So yeah, exactly. tell me, tell me about the tour company. How long have you been running that? And what's, what are the tours like? What do you guys do? Uh, so I started that in 2019. Um, I used to do a lot of adventure riding throughout British Columbia sort of by myself. And, um, you know, I, I, British Columbia, it's so different to the US just because there's so much open land to explore and, and there's a lot of logging up here. So there, there's a lot of old decommissioned logging roads and old horse trails and all sorts of stuff up in the mountains and it and you can literally go anywhere. Um, so I'd find myself out there, you know, riding around, come to these great areas and, you know, I never had anyone to share it with. and and. Being from Australia originally myself, um, I always thought it would be a great idea to start up a business where I could take people out into these areas and actually, you know, allow them to explore British Columbia um, on a motorcycle and go to these areas that not many people go to. So I sort of, yeah, I bit the bullet in 2018 and started getting it all set up. We shot a promo video. Um, and then I launched the business in 2019. Um, so is what we do. I've got a bunch of KTM 1090 and 790 bikes. Mm -hmm. And we essentially take people on these backcountry expeditions all with a sport truck on multi-day trips all through Canada. Um, I do, I can put together custom trips for groups. I've had that a few times, um, you know, where I'll give my, bunch of options of what we can do and and i'll put it all together in a package or we've got our set tours as well um but the the unique thing about riding up here is it's you know it's not just about the riding it's it's almost like taking a step back in time we stayed all these old backcountry fishing lodges and ranches and so there's no camping um which is kind of a good thing because there's a lot of bears around Mm -hmm. um but it's yeah the, just the the experience you get even from just meeting the people at these places is pretty unique um and we have rest days which we say rest days are the best days where we can go out and you can uh we can go down and view the grizzly bears eating salmon on the river or uh, uh, one of the one of the guys who owns one of the ranches has a 12-seater helicopter. Mm -hmm. um, so we can, you know, pass our hat around, chip in for, chip in for gas, and, and we can get a private trip up in the uh, helicopter. So we've 
we've gone down and chased moose through ponds and landed on mountains and done all sorts of stuff and or we just go out and ride some of the local terrain, depending on the skill level. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had groups that are fairly new to adventure riding, and I've had some pretty experienced groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can get into some pretty gnarly stuff, which is good. Nice. So yeah, that's cool. So that's what I was going to ask. So you can kind of tailor it to to the kind of rider that that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've had some where you know uh, you'll have different skill levels throughout the group, um, but we can generally split them up. So we got with every with every tour um, over four guests, we'll have two riders mm-hmm. and a support truck. And the good thing about that is you don't have to carry all your luggage or any of that stuff. Everything's in the truck. We've got spare parts. It's all taken care of. And then we have the ability to split up. So, you know, one half the group can go do an easier, more scenic route, and the other half of the group can can go do some big bike hard enduro. <laughs> Yeah, it's still beyond they, me. They on that. usually regret, regret it about an hour in, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah, nice. See, it, and that's the thing is, I always, I always worry when it's big bike hard enduro. When anything hard enduro, I always worry about because I just imagine logs and rocks and looking at this hill, going, "You're supposed to go up that." Yeah, well, <laughs> it's funny actually. You get a lot of people, and they sort of, you know, they're like, "Oh, I can ride anything. I can do this and that." And, and you take them onto some of these trails, and, and you just you just see the life leaves their body. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they get brought back down to earth pretty quick. But no, you know, at the end of the day, we all get out and help each other. And there's some pretty, pretty crazy hill climbs and stuff like that we can get into. So, it, you know, it's all about working together and getting through it. And at the end of the day, when you're sitting around the campfire, it's pretty rewarding. So. Yeah, I, I can only imagine, especially when you're pushing yourself, you know, like, I don't know, I'm going to make that hill, but. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, most of them are on my rental bikes anyway, so it's yeah. yeah. It makes it a little bit easier for them if they don't have to bang up their bike. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's always kind of so and and so I guess you got a pretty good fleet going, right? So you said 1090s and 790s? Yeah, 1090s and 790s. I'm working on selling off the 1090s. I'll probably keep mine mm-hmm. just cuz I I know it's kind of cool bike. It's good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll all be 790 and 890s. It's just easier for parts and all that stuff. So, gotcha. Um, yeah. But then, is what we're doing now is uh, my buddy Aaron, he owns Marshall Lake Moto Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a fleet of 350s, 450s, 500s with long range tanks. Okay. So, is what we're doing now is we might go ride the adventure bikes for five or six days Mm -hmm. and then we'll come to his private cabin up in the mountains and we'll, uh, we'll park the adventure bikes and we'll jump on the smaller bikes for a couple of days. And then we'll go ride some, you know, a lot smaller trails and get, get up into the, the legal Alpine areas and get into the forest. And and that way you sort of see a whole different side uh, to what you see on the adventure bikes. So, um, you know, it ticks all the boxes really. And when I set it up, you know, I did, didn't want it to be this crazy adventure. I didn't want it to be soft, like, you know, super easy. I've heard of tour companies that have like speed limits and all that stuff. Um, I definitely didn't want to be like that, but I didn't want guys coming in at 
you know, after dark, exhausted every day. So, you know, it stands up at 9am after a good breakfast, try and finish by 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And up here in summer, it's, it's light till 9, 30, 10. Mm-hmm. So you, you got the whole afternoon just to relax and fish and, you know, yeah. do whatever you like. Yeah, proper vacation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of an all-encompassing trip. And, um, yeah, it's, you yeah. know, I... I I just always thought, what would I want if I went to do a trip? And I've sort of based it around that. And, yeah, um, everyone's loved it so far. Um, COVID kind of put uh, put the brakes on things. But um, this year I've been getting a ton of people reaching out. I was sort of on the fence whether I'd go fully back into it this year or not. Um, but it's looking like now uh, that we're going to be running a lot of trips this year. So. Nice. So what yeah. what does the the calendar look like? I mean, how like when's the best time to get up there and and like you know June through September is best. Okay. Um, at the start of June, you've still usually got snow in the in the higher elevations, mm-hmm. um, so we can't access everything then. But you get these you know great stunning backdrops with snow covered mountains and everything. Um, July, August is prime time. Um, July, you get all the wildflowers blooming in the backcountry, and yeah, it's, pr- it's pretty stunning. Um, and in September, September's good as well. You do have a higher chance of rain, but usually we can sort of get around that, depending mm-hmm. on where the rain is. We'll just adjust the itinerary. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, then you get all the fall colours, and yeah. So, you know, there's not really a bad time to come between uh, June and September, but it just depends what you're after. And obviously with the, you know, with things like wildlife viewing, like seeing the bears, uh, you want to come at certain times of the year for that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't know that I want to meet them. I'd prefer not to yeah. do a meet and greet. Honestly, you're guaranteed to see. It's funny. People come like, oh, are we going to see a bear? And I just sort of laugh. I'm like, oh, buddy, you're in for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and bears aren't the worst. The moose are the one you need to be careful of. Really? Those things are nasty. Yeah, they're bigger than a horse, and you get one in a bad mood, especially late in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got no problem uh, chasing you. Know, show you who's boss. <laughs> so. Okay, so all right, so watch out for the mooses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. And so, let's see. so cool. So, okay. So summer months is really the, the time to get up there and, and really that middle of summer. And do you, do you run tours every week or how do we, how would we figure out what, when? No, so I've got a website. Uh, it's mbmadventures.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and also on the Instagram. Um, this year, I, cause I wasn't sure how it was going to play out. I haven't got any set, uh, tour dates as of yet i'm sort of working on that at the minute now that i just got back from california Mm -hmm. um but honestly the best thing to do is uh, get a group of buddies together reach out to me and i can give you all the options you know once you know roughly how many days you can go for i can lay everything out and you can literally just go through the list and just pick yep i want to do this this that sounds good yep we want to ride the we want to go to Marshall Lake and ride the smaller bikes for a couple of days. And then I can put it all together and it actually works out better cost wise too. So yeah, 
Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it's something I definitely recommend. It's it's not your average tour, um, and it, it suits all skill levels. And if you've never been to Canada, it, it is just amazing. And, and like I said, we can row from four hours north of where I am in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. You can get all the way to Alaska without touching pavement. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't the go six miles gaps. without a locked gate here. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no, no, there's no gates up here, no gates, no nothing, just wide open wilderness. Nice. Yeah, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the website right now and just checking out some of the photos you guys got and wow. Yeah, this is uh, yeah. We, yeah, no, that's good, and we're, and we're gonna we're gonna be shooting. So I got Joey Evans. Um, He's a KTM ambassador for us in South Africa. Uh, he's coming over in uh, July. Um, and we're actually going to do the KTM Adventure Week together, and we're going to document the whole thing. So um, we'll put that up online, and that should showcase a lot of what uh, what Vancouver, what uh, British Columbia's got to offer. And, yeah, yeah, that should be good as well. So. Oh man, Th- this year's packed already, but, uh, I, I think I'll probably be joining you up there for, a- <laughs> this is yeah. so rad. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's all, you know, I sort of, I, I have my proper work, uh, in construction is what I generally do, but the, the tour thing, it, it's sort of, it, it's my way to pay for my racing as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's a good way to offer people a great experience and then in return it allows me to to go all over the world and sort of do these different rides, which is which is pretty rewarding. So Yeah, yeah. I've been uh and then uh what is you were the uh fastest bike? picked up that speed is speaking of racing right here's the here's the transition speaking of racing <laughs> yeah. fresh off of the win at the Nora one thousand. What was uh what was up with that? How was that one? Yeah, you know, it was it was great. I was pretty surprised and pretty happy with that. Um, going into it, so originally I had my my heart set on Sonora Rally. As I since I did it a couple of years ago, I've been back every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was planning on going to Sonora, um, and once I found out that was cancelled, I saw a Rally Moto Shop had posted online that. Um, that the Nora, Nora was going to all road books. So that caught my attention. And, and yes, what they've done in previous years, they've sort of had road books there if people want to use them. But most people, especially competitive guys, all will just run off the GPS. Mm-hmm. So this year they brought in Jimmy Lewis and he went over and, and looked over all the road books and verified them all. And, and they put in some tricky navigation and they split the bikes and the cars up. So the bikes, in previous years, I've heard it's a lot of just wide open sort of car roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, they actually sent us through a, a lot of old Baja courses and a lot of sort of more um, tricky terrain, more suited for the bikes, which was great. But, you know, at the time, I had no, no idea of that. And I, I just wanted to go and race road books. And so as soon as I heard that Nora was doing it, I... Uh, I signed up and yeah, that was that. Um, and I was just, I was lucky enough, you know, they did, everyone I spoke to said just how good of a race that was. 
um, you know, that they call it the funnest race on earth. And, and it is super fun. It, it's low stress. It's really well ran. Um, it's really well managed. And, and, and the, the routes that they gave us all this year was, was amazing. So, um, yeah, I went down there and raced that. And day one was sort of a lot of high speed stuff. And I, uh, you know, I thought uh, the whole race is, hopefully the whole race isn't going to be like this, you know, um, sort of could have done the first day on 10 notes. Um, but then day two was, a was an ass kicker. Um, so we went through the San Felipe whoops for 60 miles and out into the salt flats straight first thing in the morning. And look, I'll tell you what, if you want to wake up, go and hit 60 miles of whoops at, uh, quarter past six in the morning. That'll wake up. <laughs> Especially on a rally bike, fully loaded with uh, gas. Uh yeah. So tell me. So, <laughs> so that, quick offshoot on that. So, what bike were you? That was a full. That was full rally bike. Yeah, that was a full rally bike, four fifty KTM rally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got that from. I, I did the uh, Africa race, which is the original Dakar route mm-hmm. uh, from Monaco to Dakar in twenty twenty with Lyndon Poskett. So after that, I purchased the bike off him and brought it brought it to the US. And yeah, I just wanted to get a lot more time on that bike and get familiar with it. Um, in the future, I'd really love to to Mali Moto, uh, Africa race, and Dakar. Um, so yeah, I brought the bike over and and I've been riding that as much as I can. And so yeah, that's what I took down to Nora. Um, I, I went and met with. AHM suspension before the race and, and uh, we did a day of testing out, out in the desert and got the suspension set up exactly how I needed it for the race. I knew there was going to be some pretty rough terrain and whoops um, and the bike was probably a little too soft for that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was one of the big differences, um, you know, for the bike was having the suspension set up. It made a huge difference and, um, I was able to make up, you know, good amounts of time in the in the rough stuff because of that. Yeah. So that that brings an interesting an interesting question. So there, you know, obviously we get a lot of listeners at Race Baja that might be transitioning and a a rally bike suspension set. Obviously, the rally bike is a lot heavier. Yes. And, yeah. But how does it? I have a theory that the heavier bikes, while sometimes yeah they're harder to ride at slower speeds, they're actually more stable at higher speeds. Yeah, it's a super planted bike. It, it's, uh, you know, linkage in the rear. Um, I love it. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot six um, and 200 pounds. So I can, you know, on a, even on a 500, I'm a little scrunched up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the rally bike size-wise actually suits me really well. Um, so... It's got uh, cone valves in the front, track chuck in the rear. Um, and it is, I, I find the bike to be super stable. And I actually, I like it with a lot, a lot of gas in it. Um, three quarters to, to half is, is ideal for me. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it just does, it feels a lot more planted. It sort of doesn't bounce around on top of the rocks. And, and in that high-speed stuff, you can just sort of sit back and, and uh, you know, hide behind the screen and get those high speeds. Yeah. Let it do, let us do its thing. How, yeah. how fast is that down the dry lake bed? 
Um, I think my highest speed in Nora was 176 kilometers an hour. Uh, so, the, uh, let's see. For those playing the home game. Yeah, you're going to have to do <laughs> the math on that. Okay, pH. Google will help us on that. Yeah, you can Google it. <laughs> ah, not so, bad. One hundred nine point three. Okay, yeah, that's on a heavy yeah, bike. That's setting a pace. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that a race four hundred and fifty will hit one hundred nine. Yeah, no, it's it, it's definitely not on the rev limiter when it's going that speed. But I've also it's only got a forty nine tooth uh, rear sprocket on it as well, so. Um, I'm sure you could get more out of it, um, but honestly, I don't think I, I want to or, or ever need to. Yeah. So it, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely fast enough for me. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So you guys, so it sounded like at Nora the first day was about getting ground between you guys and the and the cars. If it was wide open like that. Yeah. So the first day, I was actually lucky. So the first day. Um, the Corsa Senesom was what I raced in the Baja 1000, so I pre-ran it quite a bit. So I actually knew it. Um, I knew what was coming up, more or less, like when we went down the coast. The hardest thing in the morning was the fog. Um, we had heavy fog and, and it was really wet on the coast. So, you know, you're constantly trying to wipe your goggles and um, and it gets pretty sort of rocky and, and a lot of ruts as you get down towards the coast. So mm-hmm. it was just sort of managing with that and trying to keep your eyes on, on, on the track. And um, once we got further south, it cleared up a bit and then we cut up over to Mike's Sky Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was lucky enough to, to get out in front by then and sort of had clean air. So um, I had some warnings from, from friends about watching out for animals um, near Mike's Sky Ranch. Um, so I actually had two uh, cougars or pumas or something run out in front of me. So, yeah, so that was interesting for day one. And then from there, we uh, we got back out onto the highway, went uh, had a short section down towards San Felipe and then went out onto, I think it's Diablo Lake Bed. Mm-hmm. And from there, sort of cut across towards Zoo Road and into San Felipe. So Ah, uh, yes, Zoo Road. Yeah. Zoo Road. And wait, you guys, okay, so that means that you guys took, probably took Zoo Road headed south. Yes. Okay, so I'm, I haven't been down that road, but that's the easy way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going that's north is road. horrible. Yeah, no, it, it can get nasty. And there are a lot of hidden rocks and stuff like that. So, you know, at that stage, uh, I was, you know, it's my main thing was just to, get through the first two days, see where things are at and then take it from there. So, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to get some good advice off Justin Morgan and Kip Buse. Um, they're pretty well versed down in Baja. So yeah, everything they told me, you know, worked out well, um, going wide into the corners and, and looking around the corners sort of saved me a couple of times from some of the Baja traffic. Um, so yeah, it was good. Got into San Felipe, everything went smooth, and um, and then like I said, day uh, day two was uh, yeah it was straight into it. So yeah. straight into the whoops, and you know early in the day, a lot of sort of hidden rocks. I think one guy, one guy ended up having a pretty bad accident. He had a compound fracture in his arm, and so you know it's never good to hear things like that, but. That's, uh, you know, we all take that risk doing this. So, 
yeah, you just got to try and play it as smart as you can and, and get through each day. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, San Felipe is very tricky, and like you said, I've seen it. And the thing is, is that that sandy terrain does a really good job of hiding the rocks. And yeah. And it only takes a couple of bikes or one vehicle to come through and knock it loose, and now it's in the middle of the road. Yeah. The, the best advice I got was don't ride in the shadows. And sure enough, you know, you'll be riding along and there'll be shadows sort of down the left-hand side of the track or something, and, and as you get closer, you'll just see huge rocks hiding in there that you couldn't see before. So, ah. but, uh, yeah, that's there's, good. A hot, there's a hot tip for you that I'll pass along. Yeah, that... Uh... <laughs> That's I'm so my first thing uh, to do now that I'm getting back on the bikes is is to go do some uh, some training. I know I, I talked to Colton recently and I definitely want to go up there and then um, do that and then maybe do some of the Jimmy Lewis classes as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jimmy's got a lot of stuff on this year, I think. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, no, it's, you know, the more practice you can get, the better. It's uh, one of the biggest things is I find is just getting out there and, and, you know, getting a lot of rides on you, especially before a race, just so you can get used to reading the terrain again, you know, feeling how the bike moves and reacts, you know, in different situations and just getting comfortable. So, Yeah, knowing knowing what it's going to do or how it's kind of going to react, I guess, is the – you can't plan yeah. for everything, but – yeah. Yeah, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Yeah, uh, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so if you could pack your bags and rerun one of the stages that you just ran, which one would it be? I, I'd do day two again, um, just because it, it was a little bit slower pace and, and it was a lot more physic- physically demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, after we went through San Felipe, we went out onto some salt flats down the coast and then we had, I think it was about a 60-kilometer liaison down the coast. Um, then we got into sort of the sand track, which was super fun down the coast. Uh, we ended up going past through the past the new Coco's Corner. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of starts to get a bit rocky and sort of loose, loose, slippery rock down there. Um, and then they sent us back up over the mountains to Guerrero Negro. So that, that was a lot of rough, rocky, double track, big cactus, uh, quite hot. Uh, we had a couple of lake beds with some tricky nav and, yeah, that, that was a good day. Yeah. Okay. Not not my best day performance wise, but um, yeah, just just a good fun, solid day. Yeah. Well, and you know, some that's for a lot of people. I mean, that's if you enjoy those stages, those are the. I think still those are still the stages that you can make up the most time on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, know. for sure. They, they can sort of make or break the race, I guess. So. Um. Yeah, uh, I know. I just in this race, so you know, in the past, I can tend to sort of get myself worked up and and you know, time to ride over my head. Um, but for Nora, I just kind of you know took it easy, still tried to keep a good pace, but more or less just enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely paid off in the end doing that, yeah, yeah. So, you can't you can't be the hair the whole time and <laughs> no no although in this race I kind of I I was lucky enough to lead out four of the five days so um, that was kind of a blessing and a curse because I get clean air 
but I've also got to figure out all the navigation and then the guys behind can essentially follow my tracks if, if they're good. Um, but you also see a lot of weird shit in Baja early in the morning when you're out front by yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, a lot of animals, deer, all, all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, you're, you just got to ride smart, ride what you can see. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're, I mean, you're really, really clearing the road. All the animals that were chilling overnight or whatever it is, anything and, and everything that's out there, you're going to be the first, you're the warning. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on a couple of stages I saw, you know, like coming out of Guerrero Negro, it was super high speed, but it was all bushes coming in close to the track. Um, and it, it, I was, I, I backed off and just went down to sort of sat around 120 then because mm-hmm. it was, you know, if something steps out, that's your race over. And, you know, if you don't get to the finish line, then, you know, you're not going to get a place at all. So, um you know, it, 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 it can sort of be hard to do that, to mm-hmm. play it smart. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, in a long race like that, it's, you, yeah, you just got to expect the unexpected. And, um, yeah, I, it was a couple of times, you know, I'd ride along and then I'd sort of get a flash in the corner of my eye and there'd be a herd of cattle, like, right off the track. And it's, you know, if you see, like, footprints and cow shit all over the all over the course then yeah it kind of it uh definitely you know puts a little bit of fear in you yeah i don't know how those top baja guys just keep it pinned um you know they, they i don't know how they sit on the seats with those big balls they must be sitting on <laughs> Well, I, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, we just did the episode with, uh, with Colton and he was talking about that uh, down in, I think if I remember, it was the San Ignacio area. And, uh, and he very specifically said that at night, you know, just absolutely pinned on the Honda and out of the corner of his eye, he just saw this bull and it decided to go towards him, you know, where yeah. you would think running scared away from the noise, this thing came at him. And, and I mean, he said, he just barely missed the thing and i'm going well that yeah i mean luckily it didn't go that way but that is something that ends a lot of things you know yeah, and not yeah. just races <clears throat> yeah that's right and it you know it's happened to a lot of people whether it's vehicles or, or or animals and you know it happens a lot in baja and that's why it's one of the most dangerous places to to race in the world um but you know that is what makes baja baja and mm-hmm. it's whoever's willing to you know, to risk it the most, I think generally comes out on top. Yeah. Well, and then that's the whole thing also to not, not only that, but that's also the thing with rally is, is it's, it's not a, who can hold it wide open the longest. No, no, it's definitely not. And and that's sort of what got me, um, attracted to rally. Um, it was, you know, you're in a constant battle with your own mind, um, and the terrain, you, you know, you're trying to, read the road book and figure it out as you ride. Um, I've had, you know, multiple times where I, you know, I'll lose some time in an area and then I get frustrated and, and then I try to ride like hell and then I end up missing more corners and making more mistakes um, because of that. So, you know, you really got to, it's, you really got to just slow down and work on your navigation and, and, and you'll make up a hell of a lot more time by doing that than you will, you know, trying to 
trying to ride way over your head and make up time. See, see how fast the bike will go from corner to corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, um, no, and I, I really enjoyed that actually leading out. Um, I've, I've only done it a couple of times in the past. So being able to do that, I was able to sort of work on a lot of things that I've, that I haven't been so good at in the past one in slowing down when I need to and just, and making sure I know the navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, I was lucky enough it paid off and only made a couple of mistakes throughout the race, uh, but corrected them quite quick. Um, and yeah, got back on track and, and, uh, yeah, that was that. Nice. And knocked it out. So, all right. I mean, we'd, I was talked a little bit, but how did this whole rally thing even get started? Like what was your first rally and what even made you want to get into it? Um, so I was actually, well, I was up in BC riding with some buddies and they're always talking about this Sonora rally and rally racing. And I didn't know a thing about rally. I didn't know what a road book was. Um, I think Toby Price had just won Dakar. Um, but I still had no idea on the whole navigation side of it or anything like that. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of Canadians that go down and race the Baja Rally and the Sonora, Sonora Rally. So um, the group of guys I was hanging out with, uh, you know, they were always talking about it and how fun it was. And So I ended up agreeing that I'd go down and do it, um, but I didn't really want to go down there and try and figure it out during the race. So I actually... I went down and Scott Bright was putting on a training in Pahrump. Um, And it's funny to look back and see who was there. But, you know, I think Mason was there. That was his first rally training. Uh, Justin Morgan was there. Um, Yeah, there was Wolfie who'd just done Dakar. He was there as well. So I went down and did that. And, um, yeah, just learned the basics of rally and how to read a road book and – from there, it just kind of caught on like wildfire. I became addicted. Um, actually, I I was meant to come back to Canada a few days after that, but I can't. I ended up staying down there, and I uh, I caught wind of some guy called Mike Johnson, some weird guy out in Texas who's putting on a putting on a, uh, a free training with a computer, and I, and I had no idea what the computer then was, which is you know the rally cop. Um, and you know, the guys were saying it'd be good to go out there and, um, run some road books and, you know, have proper waypoint verification and stuff like that. And to be honest, when I first heard of a waypoint, I thought it was something that they'd hide up in the sand. Cause I heard someone talk about opening a waypoint. I was like, what? You ride up to it and you open it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how little I knew about rally. Yeah. Um, but I went out there and you have Mike Johnson He's a great guy. We're actually good friends now, so that's why I I gave him a bit of shit there. But um, <laughs> no, he's a good guy, um, and yeah, he, he you know he puts a lot into teaching people. He does it all for free. He does it all, you know, out of pocket. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm super appreciative that that uh, he, him, and and Scott and other people host events like that because it really, you know. It, gives new guys an understanding of what rally is about and and rally is one of those things once you get into it it's hard to get out of it's very very addicting 
and it's something you can go out and do by yourself and you know it, it's yeah it's just a whole new whole new game for, for racing and even riding mm-hmm. you know so yeah i just i fell in love with it and that was the end <laughs> and and here we are <laughs> and here we are a lot of time and money and fun later yeah and that's so. and it, you know and it's interesting that you mentioned that even just in your normal riding even if it's a trail you've been down a hundred times the fact that a buddy or somebody else made the road book you don't know what's coming even though you no. know that trail anyway yeah yeah exactly and it's you can make road books for you know i could make road books for friends up here and they might think they know where they're going but you know you mix it up a little bit and it just brings in this whole new aspect of of uh sort of adventure really it's you know you, you don't know where you're going or what's expected and you're just figuring it out as you go um so yeah it, it, no it's a really cool it's a really cool thing and i've seen especially over the past few years it's catching on like wildfire you know there's so many people getting into it um it's just exploding so it's you know in another five years on now it's going to be huge yeah no and i i agree with that i mean you can literally now you don't even have to travel to to dakar or overseas to to keep yourself entertained in rally on this side of the pond no no you know we got rally navigator um which is a great application you can download for your computer mm-hmm. you can make your own road books and I've found, you know, doing that, you learn a lot too because, um, you know, you make a lot of mistakes but because of that, you learn. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in a race, you can sort of figure out whoever made the road book for that event, you can sort of figure out their style of thinking and how they make road books. So it can actually be very beneficial in a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the one of the funny things was at, at the Nora 1000, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of uproar before the race because they decided to switch to all roadbook. There were a lot of guys saying, oh, this is stupid, you know, uh, we don't want to do this, it's dumb, we get the roadbooks in the morning, we don't have enough time, blah, blah, blah. By the end of it, everyone loved it. They're like, that was so cool, it made the race completely different and, and they're all stoked to come back next year and, and ride roadbooks. Yeah. So, made believers out of all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this and, and right, you put yourself into the shoes of it. And typically in a race, you're, yeah, you have VCPs, right? If you're doing Baja, you know, the Baja races yeah. and VCPs and it's a sprint race and all this, but it's a lot of it is survival. My section ends at, you know, the LA Bay junction. So yeah. that's your gratification doesn't come until you're within sight of that. Yeah. Where in rally, it's like, here's the next waypoint and there's the next waypoint and there's the next. So there you get this gratification the whole time you're going down the route and it's not just at the end of your section. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it's, you know, it feels damn good when you're, when you're racing along and you nail the navigation, especially when it gets a bit tricky and you get through it all smoothly. It's like, like you're pumped. You're like, all right, let's go, <laughs> you know, but then it also has a reverse effect where if you mess it up, you can get really rattled in your own head and you sort of got to, you know, snap yourself out of it. Um, So you can be your own worst enemy in rally. But the good thing about it is too, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the fastest guy. Like, you know, I'm I'm not an incredibly fast guy, but um, you just, you know, if you can navigate well and and 
ride at a decent pace, then you know you, you'll get decent results. So, yeah, and that and and that's a big uh, that's a big big part of it. Where oh, I think a lot of people maybe get lost in that that you're not able to. Yeah, I found the waypoints. You get the waypoint, but what do you what do you do if you get lost? Is that I yes. think one of the biggest things, and and that's what kind of what's your routine if you if you get to where you think the waypoint is supposed to be and you're not there, how do you deal with that? So I I learned a really really I learned a really really hard way. I when I was in Africa, um, sort of halfway through the rally, I got off course and and um, and I just thought, you know, I, I there was like we came out onto this big open lake bed and there were a lot of faint tracks everywhere. And I thought, well, if I can just sort of follow an average cap heading for 25 kilometers, I'll be able to see the fuel stop and I'll be okay. I rode 25 kilometers and there was nothing. It was, I had 360 degrees of absolutely nothing except for a flat lake bed. And that day I lost about, two and a half hours trying to trying to find the fuel stop um so ever since that day i've i strongly focused on if i make a mistake you're better off to just go back and correct it it's going to be so much quicker um and so that's what i did at nora if i wasn't sure about something i would just turn around go back verify that i was correct and and away i'd go um, but the worst thing you can do is, is, you know, the snowball effect, you know, trying to, cause you don't want to lose time. So you don't want to go backwards. So you keep pushing forward, but in doing that, you're just getting more and more and more lost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll, if things don't make sense in the road book, um, you know, there's a couple of different things you can try, but at the end of the day, the best thing to do is find the highest bit of ground right up there and see what the other guys are doing. <laughs> spy on them from a, from afar <laughs> yeah yeah well you'll actually uh you'll see guys do that in uh dakar mm-hmm. um quentin Miller did it in uh i think it was last year's dakar yeah so go yeah, up there's and... little everyone's got little tricks and uh, you know there's different things that everyone does but um oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. you sort of figure out your own little system after time and Unfortunately, you've got to make mistakes to to figure that out, but that's all part of the learning curve. So, yeah, yeah that's what rallies about. You get, yeah, exactly. I mean, in, the at the at the end of the day, yeah, and and I mean, it's not like yeah, you were in the middle of nowhere, three hundred and sixty degrees of nothing, uh, yeah. but somebody in the organization actually knew where you were. Like, yeah, you were a dot on the radar and the guys were having a chuckle about it. I'm sure. Like, where, where did this guy go? But you yeah, were well, there were a couple of poor souls that followed my tracks. Uh, Mike Johnson was one of them, actually. So that I was kind of relieved on that. Um, but uh, yeah, when I started just deciding to backtrack, because then I was worried about running out of gas. Mm-hmm. When I was worried about um, when I started to backtrack, the helicopter actually flew over and started throwing fuel out in coke bottles to to the guys on bikes <laughs> so they knew where we were and they knew that we were low on gas and i made it to that gas stop on on fumes yeah. um so i'm i was super lucky on that but I, I learned a big lesson that day and 
yeah, I, I, <laughs> I really want to go back to that race and um, have another go at it. Yeah. And so actually let's talk about that one because I think that see, there's an issue. Dakar went to Saudi Arabia after being in South America. And I mean, whichever version of it, the Dakar will always kind of be the Dakar, but the Africa eco race took over the old routes, right? Because it now finishes in Dakar. Yes. So, um, after there were some issues, um, I guess some terrorist threats, uh, I think it was in the nineties or no, early two thousands. Um, Dakar moved to uh, South America. Um, it sort of, you know, became like a franchise almost, like turned into a big company and they moved it to South South America and I went down there for years. Um, once things settled down in Africa, um, they started the Africa Eco Race. I still think it could have had a, a lot bit better name, um, but I sort of understand what they're doing with the whole eco side of it and stuff. But, um, yeah... I personally, I haven't done Dakar. Um, I know a lot of people who have. I, I would like to do it one day. Um, Dakar comes with a hefty, hefty price to race it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, you've got a lot, lot of competition with all these top factory teams and, and whatnot. Um, for me... I like the Africa race because it, it's rough, it's tough, and it, and it's the original route where rally racing started. Mm-hmm. So we had our, um, you know, the opening ceremony in Monaco, um, and then we, we got on a boat and sailed across to Morocco, and then we had uh, 11 days of racing um, all the way down to Dakar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, during that, it's just... You know, it's hard to even explain the the things you see and the places you ride throughout there in in Western Africa. It, it is just it's a wild place. Um, the The event doesn't have all the bells and whistles that Dakar does. Like, you know, I'm talking cold showers, questionable toilets. Um, when we did it, we were sleeping in tents, and I, you know, it was freezing cold for the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd wake up in the morning with a layer of dust all over me. Um, you know, so you sort of, it's just, it's hard to get comfortable, but that's why I like it because it's just, it's nasty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, you know, that's what rally racing is all about in the essence of it. You know, that that's how it all started. It was just guys out in the desert with maps. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I really think, the Africa Eco Race is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, if they keep doing what they're doing, they'll be a strong competitor to, uh, to Dakar. Um, and, and they're actually, they used to do it at the same time as Dakar, but they've just changed it to October now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I've, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out ways to, to get back there in, in October and maybe do the Mali Moto class. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, just have another crack at it yeah well and that's so i mean yeah going forward to do it with with malamoto when you rent this last time how did you like what bike did you take or how did you do that like how did you set that how was it possible for you to go so last time i went i was fortunate enough uh, i got a call from Lyndon poskett 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually he fin- just finished his races to places series, uh, riding around the world, um, and he was putting together a team for sort of the big finale of his show, um, and it was a team races to places, and and so he wanted to put a team together. Um, he built uh, five rally bikes from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, Motorex sponsored sponsored him and, uh, and a few other companies as well. Um, and so, yeah, he put this team together and one of the guys actually got injured uh, a couple of months before the race. Um, so he wanted to fill that spot. But he was sort of, I guess, looking for a sort of a certain type of personality and um, he spoke to a few people and for whatever reason, my name came up. Um, so yeah, I got the car. I was actually driving down to race the Baja 1000 and, uh, yeah, I got a call up from Lyndon and he asked me if I, if I'd like to join the team and go to Africa. And it was two, two months away and I was completely unprepared. And I think it was my, only my third or fourth ever rally race. And, um, yeah, I, I'm a pretty adventurous guy. So I was just like, yep, let's do it. So, <laughs> nice. So away we went, and it was quite good too because um, they—I don't know if you've seen it, but on on uh, on YouTube, it's called the Race to Dakar 2020. Mm-hmm. So there's a full series on there. I think there's 20 episodes. So um, you know, it's kind of cool to have something like that that you can look back on in years to come, and you know, show your kids or whatever. And um, so that that was a cool part of it, but. Um, you know, I also, I think, just really wanted to go and race the original Dakar route and, and you know, ride along that beach into Dakar. Um, and, and Mike Johnson was going there too. So, you know, I, I had to go and keep him on his toes the whole time. <laughs> yeah. you, I know you're, it's, it's you, uh, Mo, uh, the Pearson brothers, and Mike Johnson that there's never a dull moment in the bivouac. There's always know, something. <laughs> you know, we're always at each other, especially me and Jim Pearson. Um, yeah, we're always playing tricks on each other. So putting uh, putting little sticker notes on each other's road books in the morning and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it makes it good fun. You know, we you can sort of get under the other guy's skin a little bit. and Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when we're out there racing, it's, you know, if we're lost or whatever, you know, we're all there to help each other out at yeah. the end of the day. But it's just good to have a bit of camaraderie and give each other shit. No, so, no, yeah. and and it is. I mean, and I've I've said this a lot of times on the show, but it's literally like it is a very different kind of vibe in the bivouacs. Complete, like if you go to any Baja race. It is very different. It's every team. That team's over there. That team's over there. They're watching what everybody's doing. They're, they're saying, okay, well, is that a beer can? Do we need to rat him out to the organization? Did he yeah. travel six feet backwards on the... Oh, that's, you know, you can't... Like, it's very different in a bivouac. Yeah, yeah it's very serious in that kind of racing. Um, and, yeah, I agree. The thing with rally racing is everyone wants to help everyone out. So... You know, if someone needs parts, you'll, you know, you'll help them out as much as you can or you'll, you know, you'll stop what you're doing and help a guy work on his bike just so we can start the next day. It's, you know, it's got this feeling of everyone needs to be on that start line the next morning no matter what. So, 
um, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's definitely one of the coolest things about rally racing is just how willing everyone is to, to help out everyone else. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah. And you're not like, I mean, it, and it's, it doesn't matter because the great equalizer is the navigation. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not, you don't have two fast guys worried about it because you both know that they're both fast, but they have navigation's going to even things out no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For the most part. So, it, it, yeah, it, you know, you can never go super fast, but if you can't navigate, then, you know, he'll keep blowing corners and you'll just cruise along behind and, you know, you'll see their dust off in the distance going the wrong way. So, um, you know, anything can happen out there. And, uh, you know, in in standard desert racing, you could have a one-hour lead. And unless there's a crash, you know, they're generally going to maintain that lead. Mm -hmm. Um, In rally, you know, they can get muddled up and quite easily lose 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, you know, like that. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, the... You see it in the Dakar all the time. You know the leaders will, you know, switch back and forth so often um, just because of tricky navigation. It's mm-hmm. so, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, and and it is. I mean, and, and you pay the price because to make up twenty minutes at speed and then not make a mistake at the very next waypoint. Because you're trying yeah. to ride to make up those 20 minutes that you've got penalty or, you know, whatever, because each organization has a little bit different of a penalty. Yeah. So, yeah. It, yeah. So it, you're better it, off it, slowing down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, you sort of, you know, like you really got to pick your stages and two and try and figure out what's coming up ahead. And, you know, I tried to do that in the Nora. One day I, I slowed right down. I thought I'll let the other guys lead off. But it was a mistake because then I was just trapped in dust on on a super rocky road all morning, and and actually the guy in front of me, uh, he had a deer run out in front of him. So, um, yeah, I thought I was being smart, but it, it was just yeah, it, it didn't work in my favor at all. Yeah, so. yeah, and I mean, and that's the I mean. It- I, I guess there's got to be like a deciding point. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to hang back and not navigate as hard. But at some point, you know, you can now navigate the guy in front of you. And then at a, at a, even if it is a slightly faster pace, but it's still conservative for you. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of strategy now you see in the Dakar two guys all intentionally, intentionally back, back off. Like I saw one day last year, Daniel Sanders stopped before the finish and for four minutes and that was intentional so he wouldn't lead out the next day mm-hmm. you know you put him in six or seven so he might only lose a couple of minutes that day but it puts him in a better position the next day if he's in sixth or seventh you know he's got those six guys in front of him who are going to figure out the navigation before he even gets there mm-hmm. so they're going to spend time trying to figure it out and by the time they they know where to go he just rolls up and 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 makes up all that time so i don't think there's strategy like that in you know in what we have here in north america um but definitely in the bigger races you know you're starting to see that now it's becoming like this this game that they're playing the top guys so i'm sure it can be pretty frustrating if you get caught on the wrong side of it yeah exactly the 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 dakar swing yeah yeah Yeah. and and we've seen we've seen it the past couple of years so 
Um, I, I think it's something that's just going to become strategy and it's going to get worse and worse, which is kind of unfortunate because, um, you know, I think it should be every guy out there doing their best. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think they, um, I want to say, uh, man, what was this last rally that they did? Was it, was it the Morocco desert challenge? It was the second race of the, the series or no, or was it Abu Dhabi? Uh, Abu Dhabi. It was Abu Dhabi. They did something different for, I believe it was for the prologue and stage one where they, I think if it was, there was a multiplier, like they doubled the time. In All be, right. So between like, if you lost a second, it was actually like you were losing two. If you lost a minute or you were losing two minutes. Okay. Huh. So they made it more difficult to to do that they i think they might have effectively put a stop to that swing okay well it'll be interesting to see if uh if becca starts doing that as well yeah because i and and i agree with you while i agree there's strategy to it it also sucks to to basically see these guys you know like come to a halt yeah and sandbag because there's no other way of like that is sandbagging yeah yeah exactly yes Hopefully they do figure it out because, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, the top 10 guys just going hell for leather, trying to beat each other outright. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, they've all got big sponsors and whatnot and a lot of people to keep happy. So it's totally understandable. Yeah, that they're. Yeah, exactly. I mean, each each one is obviously trying to better their chances. Uh, and that's yeah. just one of the one of the many strategies, because even then, you know, they could be following the guy in front of them to help, you know, if they know they're that person is a stronger navigator, uh, they might get a toe for this section, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll literally stay behind him just to help him out. If, you know, their teammates got a decent lead, then, um, you know, and say they bend a brake rotor or something like that, then it's the, it's the guy who's behind. It's his job to stop and give him parts off his bike so he can keep his lead. Mm-hmm. So it, it's this more sort of team uh, team strategy now. Yeah. And I so. and that's and that's true. I don't I've seen it, but I think they made more of a big deal of it before. Like it was I remember watching like the BMW and the KTM teams is like, oh well, you know, this is this is the leader, you know, Petter Hansel and here's, or, you know, whoever it was, Coma, I forget who it was, but basically it's like, oh, this is a B rider. So he's going to give him his rear wheel so he can keep going. And then he's going to wait for the next guy. And basically yeah. the, the last guy in the line is waiting for the parts truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and they used to do that with wheels too, but they've actually stopped that. Um, so uh, like uh, this year in DACA, or, or maybe it was a year before, uh, on the marathon stage, Daniel Sanders buckled his front wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally, whoever was sort of doing the worst out of that team would give him their front wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the same day, I think, Toby got the big slash in his rear tyre and he had to zip tie it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the past, they just would have swapped that out, but you're not allowed to now. So, gotcha. so that sort of makes it interesting too. It does because I think that's part of the whole, like with the whole marathon stage and, and I'll, I'll go back here really quick. So for the, those playing the home game, marathon stages are typically the ones where, or are the ones where you're going to travel to a distance, a remote bivouac with no support there. And you, you have limited resources and then you ride that same bike after you do your limited, you know, work to it. 
back out to your team. So things like that, right? I mean, it was it, it kind of was an unfair advantage, honestly. You know, yeah. you could say safety, you could say all of that, but at the end of the day, all that meant is that if you rode fast and beat up your bike, you knew you had a teammate that was going to give up their good parts. Yeah, exactly. And, and now they've sort of put a stop to that, which, which is good. It, it does sort of, I guess, you know, promote slowing down and, and looking after your bike. But at the same time, it can also be incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they put restrictions on tires at that gun now. And, you know, even like I spoke about before with Toby Price having a big cut in his tire, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, he's still got to try and win that race. And, and he's got to race at high speed on that tire. Mm-hmm. And that can be, you know, that can become life threatening. So, yeah. you know, there needs to be some sort of happy medium, mm-hmm. um, within that i think that yeah every, everybody's going to be racing 252 strokes next year yeah it's easy to it's easy to have an opinion while you're sitting at home watching the tracking on your app anyway so maybe if i get to dakar one year i'll <laughs> yeah i'll come up with a well better and, idea. and i you know in, in talking to, to skylar house i think he had just came back or had recently come back uh from the dakar it was something that was brought up was the braking and I didn't really even think about it. And you go, well, a worn out tire doesn't stop the bike. So forget about going fast because you can take forever to speed up. You just got to throttle manage it. Yeah. Slowing down, though, you only have so much you can do. And on a tire that's worn out, you can't slow down. And we know what the terrain is like there. I mean, it's it's wide open. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So, so I would agree. I don't, uh, tires isn't the way I understand what they're trying to do, but tires was definitely not the way to, to do it. Yeah. I think they've just got to, you know, got to admit, like they've, you know, they've made the engine size smaller over the years. They're down to four fifties. Like what are they going to do next? Put everyone on two fifties. Like at the end of the day, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a type of racing that people choose to do because they love it. Um, you know, unfortunately, there is injury with that, but I don't think they're really going to slow the guys down. No, and I mean, it's, you know, it's honestly, I, I just see it as like Formula One. Oh, okay, yeah. no no problem. You're going to reduce the engine size? Not a problem. Well, we'll just make it so this motor revs up to 20,000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'll gear it accordingly. Yeah. Then yeah. they'll mandate the sprocket sizes, and then they'll come up with an engine that goes 25,000, you know, whatever. I mean, they'll, they're going to figure it out, so... I don't, yeah, I don't, um, yeah. I think it'll get to the point where if they keep putting in stupid rules like that, people are going to start moving away from that and going to the races like the Africa race Mm -hmm. where they're, you know, where they stick to the original rules and, um, you know, don't want to keep the the original fundamentals of rally. So, and and that's what's appealing to me too, you know. Well, yeah. Except except for the, uh, Except for the shitty, shitty bivouacs, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, w- what they should be worried about is, wait, you mean if I skip the Dakar, I can race the rest of the year with that budget? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> That's what yeah, they should be worried about. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty heartbreaking breaking too because, you know, I, I know guys who could compete, um you know, in the top 10 at Dakar, but it's just, they haven't got the funding for it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's sad to see, yeah. um, you know, so 
I just I wish it was more affordable for for, for other people to, to get involved in. Um, but yeah. that that's not going to be the case. So you know, yeah. it's what I it, guess that's where GoFundMe comes in, eh? Yeah, exactly. The yeah, GoFundMe is all of the. And and it's cool to see that because the the community and the people outside and the fans do rally around those kind of things to help people get over to to the Dakar. Yeah, you know? and yeah, that's right. And you know, look at guys like Mason. You know, I mm-hmm. uh, got got, uh, got him a shot, and he did really well, and I think impressed a lot of people. So you know, he's on his way to winning the the uh, the is it the Junior Rally World Cup mm-hmm. or, or just a Rally World Cup? But yeah, mm-hmm. so. You know, hopefully he gets that and, and does well and gets picked up and goes from there. So, yeah, definitely, you know, these people who donate to causes like that and help out, you know, they definitely do open doors for people. So it's it's much appreciated by everyone. Yeah. Oh, no, abs- absolutely. And I mean, and that's the... Uh, as more people get into it, you know, they're going to realize, and that's where I think all of these smaller rallies and smaller events are going to be so much more, uh, more popular and, and are really actually going to help pave the way to the guys like bringing in that new, that new breed. And, and, and honestly, I mean, and, and a couple more things to wrap it up, but so this year, remember they had one of the stages that they ended up cutting short uh, at the gas stop after the top riders had gone, but then I guess a bunch of riders showed up after and they were complaining about how rough the course was. And it was on the day that they split it up and they ran the first few kilometers that the cars had ran the previous day. Yeah. I think, uh, that was saying that, that, uh, Daniel Sanders had like obliterated all that rough stuff and had a good lead. And then they canceled it at the uh, gas stop because yeah. the cars had been there the day before and it was, it was too rough. Mm-hmm. I thought that. I personally thought that was a bit of a joke. Like you know, yeah. it, this is motorbike racing. You know, it's uh, well, it's meant to be rough. Yeah, and and I mean, and and that was something you know, in talking with Mason and a couple of the guys, they're all like, "This is no worse than the best in the desert." You know, Nevada race. Actually, yeah. it's not even that bad compared to yeah. those. So, yeah, well, if you've ever dealt with the FIM, I won't go into uh, <laughs> details, but uh, yeah, they yeah. can be a little soft at times. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just, I, and I agree, and I agree with what Daniel said. I think he called everybody a bunch of princesses, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think that there is some truth to what he said. Is that hey, nobody's telling you to hold it wide open. Yeah, exactly. It's. If it's rough, then, you know, you, you ride at your limit and you get through it. And if you get beat, you get beat. Yeah. But, you know, that's racing. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't neutralize the stage because it's too rough. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. And that, then that, that, that goes against everything racing is about in this sport. Yeah. I thought that's what the Dakar was supposed to be. And then, it, I mean, and then it's like, yeah, at the gas stop, but then immediately after the gas stop, a few kilometers passed they were going to switch to their own route again where it had been untouched. So it's like, yeah. you, you made it this far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense. That does it because the top guys ride through all the rough stuff and then they neutralize that and then they started again after it. So, you know, I've had that once in the Africa race, um, about halfway through they neutralized the stage, but that, that was only because they didn't have, uh, helicopters available because there were a lot of injuries, unfortunately, that day, mm-hmm. and there was a windstorm. Um, so they, because of that, they were forced 
to to neutralize the second half of the stage for safety. So mm. I, I totally understand that, but neutralizing a stage because it's rough is uh, is yeah, it's uh, yeah, pretty soft. It, it, yeah, and 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 I there was some other right on the organization side and we don't know, like it's hard to tell how true it was. Right. But they were talking about, well, there was a lot of medical calls and there was a lot of, you know, like, okay, well stop everybody, hold the stage to a certain point, get some resources back up and running and let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They could have just made the, uh, the fuel stop longer, like added, you know, mm-hmm. an hour or so to it and yeah, gone from there. But, yeah. yeah, and that's sort of one of the things that I'm turned off about for doing DACA um, is, you know, just all the sort of rules and and regulations that are in place there. Um, and, and, yeah, like I said earlier, that, you know, it's I think it's a lot more relaxed at the Africa race. And, um, you know, talking to guys who have raced that route in the past, I was talking to Jimmy Lewis down at, uh, at, at, at the uh, awards night of, of the Nora 1000 and you know he himself said he's like it, it's just Dakar is a different animal now like you know back when he raced it through western Africa it was just this crazy wild monster with you know soft dunes like you've never experienced and yeah it's I don't know I, I, I hope more people do go and do the Africa race especially the average guy um, you know, if, uh, if you're going to go and spend all that money on Dakar, mm-hmm. you could, uh, I, I think you may have a, a lot more fun experience mm-hmm. and, and save yourself a bit of cash by going and doing the, uh, Africa Eco race. Yeah. And, and especially market that I mean, to me, I see it now as like, this is the OG Dakar. It's like the Dakar just changed its name. Yeah. You know, because yeah, now you're yeah. running what they used to run, which was where it all started. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, my plans to try and get back there in October. Um, we'll see. Run, run some tours and save some money. And yeah, I'd like to get back there. There's Baturi uh, who won it when I did it. Um, they're doing it on the Yamaha T7s um, mm-hmm. adventure bikes. Um, and Petrucci, he's doing it on the I think the Ducati Desert X. Yes, finally. So I'd kind of love just to go there and do it in the Mali Moto class and just sort of, you know, I, I got lucky enough to beat Paturi a couple of times, but, um, yeah, I'd just like to go back there and, I don't know, just be at that race, racing against, you know, guys like that on yeah. bikes like that. I'd take that. It'd be pretty hilarious watching them ride those bikes through those soft dunes, I tell you. Well, and that's the thing is, like, they used to ride bikes that heavy, through yeah. through there and now they only have more horsepower and you know i i want i want the big bikes back i think that that's i i there's a lot of stuff coming and i think this big bike twin market is so hot that more organizations yeah. are gonna open up to that we we've seen it in the best in the desert series they brought in an adventure class um a couple of even the enduro races up here in british columbia Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got adventure bike enduro races so you never know they may bring in a rally you know large uh twin cylinder category in the mm-hmm. future uh, africa race actually has one mm-hmm. um but you know i'm 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 all for adventure bikes a lot of people give them shit but 
you know, you can ride a trail on a 500 and then go and try and, or on a 300 two-stroke and then go and try and do it on a 1090. It, it, you know, that's yeah. a it's a whole new challenge. So, um, and, you know, the adventure bikes these days are pretty dialed in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Especially that new, the 7, 798.90, I think that's, of the yeah. of them, I mean, I, right now I think they're the game in town. It's the the eight nineties and the and the T sevens. Yeah, I I did like the T sevens up until Nora. Um, one of them snapped in half halfway on day four. Yeah, so the frame the frame broke in half uh, through the whoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually the frame broke in half, and, and then I think uh, he got in a crash the day after that. But. Um, yeah, it was interesting seeing how that bike handled Baja, mm-hmm. which um, Baja, I guess, won that one. But yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, and, and it'll and it'll win again to any manufacturer. It just you know you learn what you need to do to make them Baja proof, and and then you know. Yeah, and I think as a rider too, you got to know the capabilities of your bike too. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, um, yeah, if you can sort of get it all dialed in and, and have a good race and slow down when you need to slow down. I think, you know, I've actually got a couple of guys who want to do the Nora 1000 next year on adventure bikes. So I hope they do. We are. Yeah. I mean, if the Vespers can do it, I'm sure we can. <laughs> those Vespers, those guys are the real hero. They're actually the Vespers. And there was one guy on a three wheeler, two stroke, and he did three top ends throughout the race. That guy <laughs> is the real hero. <laughs> I saw that thing. That guy. Yeah. 250R. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of epic rides, to wrap this thing up, uh, what's the longest ride you've ever done? Uh, so I rode a KLR 650 from Vancouver to Argentina over 14 months. <laughs> so me and uh, me and some buddies, um, one day I was just sort of looking at a map and I was like, oh, that's all connected. Um, and then I, I actually went back home to Australia for Christmas and I was sitting around at the Christmas dinner and I was like, oh, I think I might ride a, a motorbike all the way down to Argentina and everyone kind of laughed at me. And as soon as they sort of said it was, wasn't possible and laughed, it, it just kind of lit a fire and I was like, I'll show you. So as soon as I got back to Vancouver, I bought a bike, um, and then talked, uh, three friends into coming along with me and. Uh, like yeah, I think it was six months later we set off. Um, uh, we did. I, I think I ended up putting about twenty two thousand kilometers on my bike, um, and yeah, rode all the way down, camped all through the U.S. and Baja. That was my first ever Baja experience, and I, I've actually got a funny story. We were riding down the coast south of Ensenada and, and went up like a little hill, and and a rock kicked up and crushed the the wire on the kickstand and, and cut the bike out on my friend's KLR. So we're sitting there fixing that and these guys pull up um, all on Hondas and, and they're sort of helping us get it fixed and we're all chatting and stuff like that. And we got a few photos. Um, it wasn't until years later I looked at that photo mm-hmm. and it was Queen Cody, it was Malcolm Smith, it was, I think Johnny Campbell was there and it was just a bunch of these top, top, I think it might have even been the early days of that Rip to Carbo or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all these top 
you know, desert races, and, and we just had no idea. So <laughs> it was, yeah, it was pretty cool to look back on. But so we camped all, all through uh, Baja and and then Central America was cheap enough, so we stayed in hostels and whatnot. And once we got to South America, um, one guy got low on money, so he sold his bike and went home. And the other two guys, uh, they beelined it for Argentina. Um, we didn't have any GPSs or maps either. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, before we left, I bought a map of each country, thinking that would be enough to get me through, but uh, it definitely wasn't. So um, learned to speak Spanish quick. But, <laughs> yeah, to make a longer story short, um, I ended up doing from Colombia all through South America alone. Um, and, yeah, that was probably the greatest time of my life, just uh, – you know, no maps, kind of naive, no idea, um, and yet yeah, just get to a town and ask for directions and ride that way. So got in, you know, got in some pretty uh, hairy situations with the got shaken down by the police a few times, especially in Mexico. Yeah. Um, had a had a gun pulled on me, got rammed by a vehicle at a um, at a toll booth, but then. You know, I also had some of the, the best days riding I've ever had. So, yeah. It was a r- risk and reward. Yeah, yeah. And I strongly suggest, uh, you know, any any young guys in their early 20s go and do that because, you know, when you're out there alone, there's some in the middle of Peru or wherever you might be and, you know, it starts to get dark and you got to camp out on the side of the road in a foreign place. Um, you learn about you learn a lot about about yourself and your and your limits. That's for sure. So I think it definitely made me a better person. Yeah, yeah. Once once you leave the comforts, and I mean, and it's literally, it's not like you could just ride up to the next town or or you know, there's nothing. No, I didn't even know. It's funny because I'd pull up to a place on the bike and I'd be like, uh, you know, by then I'd sort of learned a bit of Spanish and I'd sort of ask people, oh, how long to the next town? And they, you know. I had a rule, so I'd always ask three or four people and and figure out the average because one person would say, you know, five hours. The next person would say, oh, and that bike, you'll be there in an hour. And so you never really knew. Um, or there'd be roads just completely gone. And um, I, I had a pretty interesting situation in Colombia where I'd, I'd ridden down sort of into the Amazon side of the Columbia, which is heavily guarded by the ELN, which is a guerrilla group. Mm-hmm. And there's people stopping me, telling me to get out of there. There's bandits. and But it was to get... In Colombia, you've sort of got the coast, and then you've got, uh, you've got flatland, mountains, big, huge valley, mountains, and then into the Amazon. So for me to get to roughly where I was, but over the mountains, um, it was a 21-hour turnaround. And, I, and that just wasn't a, wasn't an option for me. So, um, and, and the road had washed out. So I, I ended up, I spent a day and a half riding through these crazy mountain roads in through the jungle of Colombia by myself with no maps, just coming to you know, wise in the road and, and picking left or right. And somehow, I don't even know how, but somehow I got through it all. I managed to get gas right at the last minute from these little, 
towns in the middle of nowhere and yeah, I, I, got, I made it back to pavement a day and a half later, but that was, I was terrified the entire time. But that now that I look back, that was one of the coolest times I, I ever had. Yeah. What was the, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to picture what the feeling was after that long of a stint in the middle of nowhere and then to see highway. I got to a town called Papua. I got to the highway and I actually got off and screamed in my helmet. I was that happy to see pavement. I was like so happy I just survived it. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of guerrilla forces in those areas back then, and um, yeah, I saw pavement and, and I, I was just ecstatic. Um, you know, I'm not a very emotional guy, but that could be pretty pretty. Uh, pretty pumped to see pavement and then I rode to a town called I think it was called Papayan or something mm-hmm. and pulled in there and they had like this uh, sort of one fancy hotel so I pulled in there and it was like the first hot shower I'd had in weeks and they actually when I got there they sat like a busboy outside of my room on a chair 24-7 and if I I wanted to go across the road to get ice cream and get money out from the uh, bank machine and this guy had to come with me everywhere. So I don't know if it was a bit of a sketchy area or what, but I kind of felt like royalty. I had a hot shower and a, a little uh, a guy who'd do anything for me. and yeah, Liaison. Uh, yeah, but yeah, he'd, yeah, he'd go off and, you know, if I wanted food, he'd, I'd give him money and he'd head off and, and get food and whatever. And so, no, that was uh, that was good. And then, But the next day I actually crossed into Ecuador and that's where I got rammed by a by a car at a toll booth and then there was a giant riot broke out all around me so so it was very short-lived yeah <laughs> so, polar opposites <laughs> yeah i could uh, i could probably fill in an entire podcast just on that story so, <laughs> just on that ride yeah we could always well i i still my goal is to still be able to figure this out to record something actually in a bivouac sitting around talking to all you guys I'm sure you could. That'd be a way to do it. <laughs> It'd be pretty funny. Um, oh, you can yeah. do it at uh, Sonora. Yeah. But you can have lots of options in October. I think there's like five races going on in that one month. So I know. October is rally month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be wild. So it's going to be hard to choose. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've got to look at the calendar and see what I can schedule in. But at this point, I'm hoping I'll be in Africa, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that. So, so they moved the Africa eco race to that too, then. Yeah. Okay. So now that's, yeah. Four rallies. Uh, yeah. I think Baja rally opens a month, then it's Morocco and then it's Sonora. And, and then there's Sonora 500 as well. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. Nora 500 and then, uh, yeah. Africa race as well. Oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, decisions, decisions. Yeah, exactly. It's only money, right? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, I better, I better uh, start running some tours, I guess. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Start, start up the money machine. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Nice, very nice. Well, awesome. Well, I'm gonna have to figure out how to get up to Canada. Well, the girlfriend and I want to do some traveling and we were talking about that, like, you know, plane rides and, and, you know, what's a decent plane ride and then pick locations based on that plane ride. And then I, you know, Canada was one of the ones that came up. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I came here for a three month holiday 
14 years ago. So it's, uh, you know, I, I can vouch for it. That's for sure. Yeah. And then here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. her and I, you know, we, we enjoy the outdoors and, and like, you know, I, I've just, everything I've ever seen, I don't know that there isn't a place in Canada that isn't picturesque. Yeah. Oh, right. uh, no, if you've been to Saskatchewan, that's, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there is an area. Saskatchewan, if your dog runs away, you can see it running for, uh, for three days. <laughs> oh, that's like Texas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except Texas, someone would shoot it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you're probably true <laughs> that's probably yeah. right but no it's uh yeah if you're uh if you're ever looking for a trip grab a bike and coming up i'll be happy to show you around yeah oh uh, that'd be awesome yeah no definitely problem. and like you said you know where maybe you could get a few guys together we'll go out and book a tour with you and and, and go explore go get lost in the back country yeah for sure that'd be awesome it's a, yeah it's a pretty cool experience so yeah i hope so well if uh if you pick baja uh, whether that be Sonora or Baja Rally, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll see you down there. Hopefully before then. Yeah, yeah, good time. yeah I'll uh, I'll have to look at the calendar and write some stuff in, but uh, I'm sure I'll see you before the end of the year down there. So oh, yeah. if uh, I know you're heading down to the Baja Rally training mm-hmm. this weekend, so um, you know, stir up Dave Pearson for me and tell Mo Hart to stop breaking the beads on his rear tire. <laughs> Every single race, that guy blows a moose out. Blows a moose. Yeah, that's true. I <laughs> come to think about it, that is kind of a record going. Yeah, yeah. But he's yeah. he's a trooper. He's definitely one of the guys that does not say no to a start line. Yeah, no, no. Mo's a great guy. He's yeah. good. So nice. Well, yeah. I'll make sure to ruffle some feathers for you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> Get him warmed up for you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for the call and yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, and talking to us. And uh, yeah, and I'll drop some links uh, for mvmadventures.com. Uh, so yeah. if anybody's got questions or, or wants to see, I mean, even just to check out the page, I mean, the pictures that you got up there are awesome. Yeah, we've got a promo video on there as well you can watch um, or, or go on YouTube and just like look up Mountain View Motorcycle Adventures um, or hit me up through Instagram um, or email, which is just Matt at mvmadventures.com and that's m for michael a lot of people think it's uh, an n because of my accent yeah so okay i'll elaborate on that mount mountain view motorcycle adventures got it yeah cool. i'll put it uh i'll drop the uh the email address well i'll drop the contact the email address and then the website and instagram nice. and, uh, in the description so if anybody's interested uh in looking it up and uh and yeah and yeah should be awesome well sweet sweet well, enjoy your evening. I don't know. I don't know what time it is there where you're at. But. It's uh, it's eight thirty. I've actually oh. you'll probably laugh at this. I've actually got moose in the slow cooker. So <laughs> I, I swear to God, I have moose in the slow cooker. So nice. <laughs> I, I got to go tend to that. But uh, hey, mm-hmm. come to Canada on a tour. We'll give you some moose. There we go. <laughs> You'll get to see it and then you'll eat it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. So. Well, sir, enjoy. Cool. Thank you. All right. Thank you. See you later. Yeah, we'll see you soon. See ya. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. So that was Matt Sutherland, Mountain View Motorcycle Adventures, Rally Racer, and World Traveler now. I mean, you know, you get into Rally and that's kind of what ends up happening. Well, and then there's the adventure on the KLR 650, which I didn't say, why would you pick a KLR 650? But 
in talking to uh, one of our previous guests, the KLR650 is kind of a popular bike. Everybody's got uh, parts for it. So I think that that is uh, definitely a, uh, a battle tank of a bike. And you can do a lot of stuff. I'm sure the local uh, the local convenience store sells uh, sprocket countershaft seals for them. I mean, they're that popular. So you never know. Uh, probably is one of the better bikes to pick just for the availability of parts and simplicity of the machine. But yeah, this isn't a KLR commercial. So yeah, anyway, but that is uh, that is a wrap for this week. That was awesome. So Matt Sutherland, I met him at uh, at Baja Rally, uh, competing uh, down there, and I my as my time as race director and, and working with Rally Comp, and always a really good time and, and talking to those guys. And there's always you know the the ruffling of the feathers and the giving each other shit in the in the bivouacs. And so I think that that was like it was the highlight of going to these events and talking to these guys and just even just being the fly on the wall and listening to the guys gas each other. Uh, over you know waypoints they missed and trails and and you know the hairy rides and then the, the, the close calls and all of that stuff so it was always good it was always fun time and i'm looking forward to getting back down there we've got that event this weekend with the american rally originals and baja rally uh down in san quintin for a three-day training event so looking forward to that uh i'll come back with some more stories on that or don't be surprised if we get a, a remote episode in this week uh don't forget we do have uh Pete Day from Moscow Moto uh, coming up here shortly. Uh, you guys will be listening to this episode tonight, uh, Monday night. Uh, and then I think for this Sunday, we're going to have the um, the episode with Pete from Moscow Moto uh, air. So you guys can uh, make sure you tune in for that one. And then uh, we will uh, we'll see. I got a few more guys lined up and uh, we'll, we'll release the order of dates here shortly. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad to be doing these in the bivouacs again and talking to people. There's so many people in the industry, uh, that are really and ready to talk about rally raid and stuff like that. So we got to keep the ball rolling. Uh, you guys heard it on that episode and it's true is the sport is growing. There's more things to do now rally wise. If you need training, if you need racing, if you want to go racing and you're just tired of doing the training or don't want to know, or you want to commit to something and say, you know what, that's going to be my first rally. Now I got to get ready for it. You know, get it done. Uh, a shout out to uh, Dave Black from Couch to Dakar um, on his riding. He's posted some videos this week uh, of his progression and how he is riding now uh, after only a little over a year on a dirt bike, uh, taking classes from Jimmy Lewis and some other guys on and doing things like trials riding and things. Um, you know, his riding in those videos is very noticeable there there's a very marked difference i saw him a few months ago in vegas uh before his second round of classes and i could tell the confidence was up and the riding was there and and so uh it's there but it it's in a year so guys if you're looking at rally raid and you want to get into rally raid that's i mean you could be doing this next year and it just takes some simple steps so I have a feeling what we're going to end up doing is we're going to revisit this whole getting started in rally raid uh, in the early episodes. That's what we started with. We were talking a lot about getting started in rally, taking those first steps. I think we're due for a recap and and for that game plan. And hopefully we get because we've got a ton of new listeners, the reach and audience that we've been. I'm, I'm absolutely blown away and I'm very appreciative of everybody that's um, that's chimed in and sent me ideas and uh contacts with who to talk to uh all of these things i'm absolutely stoked the guys that are supporting the channel 
um, you know, uh, David Pearson, the American Rally Originals, those guys, uh, Moscow Moto coming up, uh, Maxima, all of these guys that are helping support, uh, support this channel, support this podcast. Uh, it's a, a big thank you to you guys. And I really appreciate the help. Uh, I cannot forget to mention Visa and MasterCard for everything that they've done, including making sure my interest rates were always charged on time, uh, and, and reminding me of my payments. So I definitely appreciate, uh, all of the help and everything, uh, and all these people. So I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot more episodes. This is episode 70. We are exactly 30 episodes away. We're going to be a hundred episodes deep on this. So looking forward to it. But anyway, with that being said, hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode coming up. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week.